It's that time again, so grab yourself a cup of joe and get ready for the cappuccino with Constable Brian. Okay, so my guest today is Sugarfoot Ray Seffel, uh, 56 bouts, 22 losses, one draw. He's a kickboxer, uh, a boxer, an MMA fighter, six-time world champion in Muay Thai kickboxing, eight times K1 World Grand Prix final tournament competitor. He's the president and co-founder of PFL MMA League, and we'll talk about that in a second. Uh, in kickboxing, he's defeated so many world champions, it's ridiculous. He's a coach at Randy Couture's Extreme Couture Gym. He co-founded the WSOF in 2012. Uh, he's also, as well as being the president at PFL, he takes care of their fighting operations. He has won six world fighting titles in six different weight divisions. Most importantly, though, and he will agree with me here, he's a husband and he's a dad and he's a Kiwi. Uh, big welcome to Sugar. How are you, Sugar Ray? You're good? I'm good. I'm good. Good to see you, brother. You too, man. Okay, right. So random quick fire questions. This is where we like them. Uh, First question is, if you and I were going to have a coffee together, how does Sugar Ray have his coffee? Uh, it has to be either uh, caramel or vanilla. You've been in Vegas too long, brother. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the crazy thing is, is that I'm not a big coffee drinker, but I, or should I say the only time I can drink coffee is if it's flavored. Yeah, there you go. That's all good. If I was fighting now, the one person I would not want to fight is who? Uh, I'll fight anybody. Yeah, I knew you would. Uh, yeah. The, the, yeah. You know, I'm always up for a challenge. Yeah, <laughs> I, I knew you would be. Yeah. Okay. What was the last book that you read? The last book? Um, I'm trying to think what it was called now. Uh, but it was a motivational book. Cool. Um, but the one I do remember that I, I couldn't put down was the, about. Uh, Sammy Gormano, the bull. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I hear you. Okay, all right. Now, given the fact that you and I are now mature athletes, although I like the way that the Japanese say it was samurais in autumn, which I think is way better than mature. <laughs> um, if Sugar Ray could eat anything without consequence, what would we see you gorging yourself on? Uh, hmm. Um... I, I no, I would have to say just I think ice cream with a red velvet cake or, or pancakes. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. Yep. Okay. The one sport I don't like to watch is what? Uh, well, I can't say hockey anymore because you know we have a, a hockey team here in the Vegas. Lights. Um yeah. yeah, and prior to that I I wasn't really that interested until a friend of mine in Denver uh, took me to a game. And um, I was like, okay, well, these guys are going to just come in. And then a fight breaks out, and, and uh, these two were going at it, and the uh, actual referee or the umpire was just standing there. And I'm like, why isn't he stopping the fight? He goes, man, I'm not that supposed to go until they hit the, hit the yeah. ground. I'm yeah. like, really? Yeah. And then, of course, you know, uh, yeah. I fell in love with the game. And um, so we, we got to watch the game, you know, uh, go to night from time to time. Uh, well, that's that's a side bet that you and so I can have. The the one game that I wouldn't watch, um, which I've gone to live and fell asleep, was baseball. Yeah, there you go. Okay, all right. 
No, I, I love playing the game, though. Yep, that's, that's all right. Just it. Yeah, it's I don't just like watching, but I love playing the game. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's all good. Growing up, who was your fighting idol? Fighting idol. I don't know if I really had an idol, but I, I, um, I admired a lot of uh, different fighters. Um, of course, Sugar Ray Leonard, one of my favorite boxers, Muhammad Ali, um, uh, Evander Holyfield. Um, and then when you come to, you know, to kickboxing, um, you know, I, I watched the likes of uh, Peter Cunningham, uh, Roman, uh, Roman Decker, Rob yeah. Kamen, of course, Vanessa Hoos, Peter Ertz, Jerome Banner, and the rest of the K1 um, elites, if you will. Uh, but I, I, I don't know if I had one particular idol, but I did admire and um, watch a lot of amazing fighters throughout. Yeah, and that's, um, that's back, in the the days when, of, back in the days when we used to get videotapes with the dodgy tie subtitles underneath that. I remember <laughs> Exactly. Well. Yeah, that's it, all good. Exactly. I'm going to put you under the pump here now. The last quick fire question. The best MMA artist, male or female, of the last 10 years is who? Wow. Um, that's a that's a tough one to answer because there's so many yeah. amazing fighters. Um, uh, you know, if you look at female-wise, uh, in PFL, there's Kayla Harrison. On the UFC, you got the likes of uh, Amanda Nunez, uh, um, uh, Valentino. Uh, I mean... And then if you, if you go, I mean, there's just so many great uh, fighters that I think it's hard to pick one. If you look at uh, welterweight, Ray Cooper is, in the, you know, he's uh, um, the PFL two-time world champion. And if you look at the welterweight division in the UFC, you have uh, Kamaru Usman, who's an amazing fighter. Um, and, you, you know, there's so many. Bellator has great champions as well. Um, there's just so many great fighters to to really pick one. Spoken like a true MMA president. Good week. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to upset anybody. Um, so you started off in martial arts at the age of five in New Zealand. Um, what yes. martial art did you start off in and what was your reason? Because everybody starts off in martial arts, myself included. We've all got a reason. We saw a, a Chinese movie or we saw or we got bullied at school or something else. What was your reason? Um, my reason was, well, my dad, I come from a boxing background. So my my dad, my uncles, cousins, everybody boxed. And um, so at the age of five, my dad bought me my first boxing gloves. Um, and that's how we, you know, we learned how to, to box was sparring my cousins and brothers and, and friends and whatnot at the age of five. But then at the age of seven, my dad rented a Bruce Lee movie and a Jackie Chan movie, which was... Uh, Drunken Master uh, with <laughs> Jackie Chan and the Fist yeah. of Fury with um, Bruce Lee. And I was hooked. I mean, uh, and so just watching that, I, you know, and I remember saying to my dad, like, um, why do I need to just learn my hands when you could actually learn how to use your legs and your arms and your elbows and knees and, you know, you can use your whole body. Um, and then I think... When I was 12, um, I um, was a milk boy and delivered, you know, and that's how I paid for 
uh, Kung Fu lessons, and Wing Chun was my first martial arts. Hmm. Okay, all good. Now, you grew up in a family of seven boys and two girls, right? So I'm, I'm guessing this, the sense of competition was probably alive in that house. <laughs> um, what was What's one of your fondest memories of your childhood in New Zealand, right? Um, I think if you look at it today, um, and I would, if, and I was to go back then, the, the freedom to be able just to walk down the shop, the freedom to be able just to know that, you know, I didn't need to worry about anything. Like I would never let my son walk through the shop. Um, and especially nowadays. And so I think more than anything, it was just the, the, the fact that we could just go out and play with your friends outside and, and just that kind of freedom where I didn't, um, I didn't need to worry, um, where even though we live in like here in Vegas, we live in a, you know, a nice neighborhood. Um, as a parent, you still can't, like I always have to see where my, my son is or, mm -hmm. uh, or my daughter so that, uh, I, you know, I'm constantly making sure that they're, they're, they're good and safe. So, I, so yeah, to answer your question, I think it's just the freedom to be able just to be free uh, um, and, do, and do whatever. That's a good thing. Now, you switched. Like you said, your dad boxed, your uncle boxed, your cousins boxed. It was only going to be a matter of time before you boxed, let's be honest. Right? But what made right. you switch from Wing Chun to boxing and Muay Thai? Because they're completely different styles when you look at it. Right, right, right. Um, so the reason, I mean, again, I never really wanted to be a fighter. Um, I loved the martial arts and enjoyed it. And I enjoyed learning and, and you know, training and whatnot. Um, but it wasn't until I was, um, I, I remember one of our, one of my teammates was actually about a fight and we were at a weigh-ins and um, one of the guys there challenged me to a fight and that's how that came about. Hmm. Um, and I didn't understand why uh, that happened, but I realized later on in time it's because uh, at the time, I started modeling when I was 16, so I was already um, on TV doing fashion shows, and then I was doing, you know, um, print work as well. Um, so I think that, I don't know, um, because I was kind of already out there in, 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 the, in the public eye, if you will, uh, maybe he thought uh, it was good to, you know. But at the time... I just enjoyed training. I never really thought about competing. And then when he challenged me to a fight, uh, and I remember clearly my mind was saying, no, I'm not going to fight. And my heart was like, okay, let's go. It's mm -hmm. time. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and in some ways, you know, I have him to thank because if he didn't challenge me, challenge me to a fight, I don't know if I would ever get into it. Um, mm. And the funny thing is I had always wanted to be a cop. And so... Um, when that challenge came along and then martial and then competing started and then I, it kind of just took me there and i think um i'm doing exactly what i was supposed to do i'm i'm just i'm having a wee grin to myself i'm thinking of you and alfie filipana on the beat together we'll just let that one go <laughs> okay uh so you trained at Bamoro liga under the watchful eye of lolo of course um huge martial arts legend in new zealand and some of the people right. you trained with jason study jason vomoa 
John Conway, Ronnie Sefo. That's that's not a bad lineup for little old New Zealand, is it? What did what did your training look like in those days? Because look, let's be honest, you and I started training in the roughly the same days. And when you look at those training right. methods now, and what we're training with now, like I can remember talking to Jake Bonacci at Extreme Couture, and he's like, "You guys realize we've come out of the Stone Age, eh?" Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, what was what was your tra- what did your training look like when you were when you were training at, at Balmoral? Well, yeah, I mean, you know, if we're to go with what Jay said, yeah, hundred um, percent. And I remember when I was getting ready for to fight for my first world title uh, in China, and I had to make light heavyweight. And um, in terms of, I think, I, I think, I think, in terms of pounds, it had to be uh, between one eighty-five and uh, one eighty-five and one eighty-seven. I think it was. Um, so I, you know, and I recall, you know, and, and at that, at that time I was, you know, absolutely illiterate when it came to nutrition. I didn't know anything about it. All I knew was, okay, I got to eat as little as possible <laughs> and, um, and just train as hard as I can. And so, um, you know, uh, you obviously throughout the years you learn as you grow, as you grow. And, uh, of course, but in terms of training, I mean, everybody was there to push each other. Um, you know, uh, Lolo had this really amazing, um, uh, family environment that he, uh, you know, created and produced within the gym and, uh, everybody was, you know, we were all there to help each other and it was just an amazing feeling. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that's the reason why we as martial artists grew, uh, and continued to learn and continue to grow uh, was because we had so many amazing training partners. Mm, not wrong. You fought in some absolute wars in your K1 and kickboxing days. What's the one fight, if I said to you, Ray, what's the one fight that when I say to you, what's the fight of your career? You go, it's this one without a doubt. Um, geez. Uh, I mean, the one fight that everybody talks about, like every, <laughs> and again, I just, if I'm in, Hong Kong or Japan, or if I'm in Paris or Brazil, the first thing that people go was, hey, Ray, how you doing? Man, they fight with you and Mark Hunt. That was just incredible. So that's the fight, one fight that everybody talks about, right? Um, and then they'll start, you know, naming other fights. And there's a who's Peter Ertz, Roman Banner, Mike Bernardo, and so on. Um, but there was, you know, I mean, out of respect to all the great names that I competed against or the great uh, fighters that I competed against. I mean, for me, I, I, I was just fortunate and, and so grateful that I was, that I had the skills to be able to compete with some of the best of the best. And so, um, yeah, it's hard to pick one out. Mm. We're going to talk about that Mark Hunt fight later on. I should have probably popped it in your introduction. You might actually be the only man who's ever kissed Mark Hunt in the ring, <laughs> uh, but that's a long story. Now, often in a lot of your fights, you would be on the end of some heavy blows before it was almost like, okay, it's time for Sugar Ray to kick in and then you'd have a big revival. Um, you said that it was one of your strengths was your mind uh, in a recent PFL video that you did. Um, do you think that right. it's something that's more important than technique, that mindset for a warrior in the ring? Yeah, when you, uh, 100%, because the thing is, um, you got to have a winning mind and a str- strong mind because uh, 
you can be taught all of the different techniques and you can be taught the different um, strikes and whatnot. Um, but if you don't have that mindset of uh, one, uh, to win, two, to be disciplined, um, then it's, you know, it's very hard to, uh, so then when you get into these tough battles like the Mark Hunt fight, um, I've seen so many good fighters fold because they weren't mentally strong enough. Hmm. And so um, I think a strong mind and a strong heart um, is a must because everything else you can teach. Not wrong. Now, I know that we just spoke about that Mark Hunt fight. So here we go. I'm going to use your exact words. So one of the all-time <laughs> favorites is obviously you versus Mark Hunt. So you have, you basically you've, your plan was to, for you to, and this is your exact words, stick and move, but he came out at me like a bull. So you decide in, in the middle of the ring that you're going to rewrite the plan. And as you sometimes do, you used to drop your hands down and shake a little bit and give them a little bit of what, what I, um, I know that you always get asked about the fight. And that's, like you said in a recent interview, it's got over 10 million views on YouTube. What do you think is the attraction in that fight? Because, look, let's be honest. Do you think that uh, Mark is now your Frazier or your Hazali? Because, like you say, everybody goes, oh, have you ever seen that Mark Hunt race Zephyr fight? It's amazing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. I mean, hey, uh, I mean, it's such an honor to be able to, you know, especially when you mention our name is next to Muhammad Ali and Joe Frazier, right? Mm. But um, uh, the the fight happened the way it happened because, I, again, like uh, I said, the game plan was to stick and move um, and, and and make Mark miss and, 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 and counter fight and whatnot. But Mark, being the, the bull that he is and being a warrior that he is, um, I think he's the one that set that tone and I, and I actually replied. And so... Um, in my head, of course, when I got to the corner, everybody was, the boys were, you know, Ronnie and, and the boys were like, um, Ray, what are you doing? Stick and move, put your hands up. And I'm like, no, we're, we're, we're doing this the way this is going to, you know, unfold. Yep. And, and listen, um, like I've said in some other interviews, um, Mark, even though I won that fight, but, but, Mark, but I think we both won that fight. I think we walked away because it takes two to tangle. And if mm -hmm. Mark wasn't the warrior, if Mark wasn't the warrior that he was or he is, um, then that fight probably wouldn't have happened that way. Mm -hmm. And so um, it was, you know, um, it, it wasn't the plan, but it turned out to be one of, you know, uh, <laughs> to be the, the fight that it was. That's one of those things, though. I mean, great fighters have great legacies and they also have great opponents. You look at people like, Mickey Ward and Muhammad Ali and all those other fighters from years gone right. by. And it's I think it's the same with you and Mark. The one that I always show people after they've seen Mark Hunt is because lots of people will watch, uh, let me think, Rocky versus Drago, or as we know it, Rocky Four, And they'll go, right. that, is, that is just ridiculous. Who the heck would fight a man mountain like that? And I'm like, well, let me show you a friend of mine fighting a man called Hong Man Choi and <laughs> another man fighting, uh, him fighting another man called Bob Sapp. Now, for those of you who don't know, uh, Bob Sapp is an ex NFL player, and Hong Man Choi is seven foot two inches and weighs somewhere between 140 and 175 kgs. Bob Sapp is six foot five and 150 kgs. And then comes 
I'm going to change your name for a second here, brother. Sorry. Little Ray Sefo at six foot one and 120 kgs uh, <laughs> on a good day. Yeah. Uh, apart from looking like a Rocky movie, when you watch it, what was your strategy behind those fights? Because what is, what is going through your head? Because there's a good shot of literally you and Hong uh, standing there together and right. you literally look like, uh, I don't know if you can remember it, Rocky Balboa versus Thunderlips. And Rocky Three, where he's standing there against Hulk Hogan, and he's sort of looking, basically oh, yes. looking in his chest. Yeah, what was uh, your strategy yep. in that fight? Well, again, you know, I, I knew I was going to be quicker than Hong Mong Choi. Um, I knew that, uh, you know, uh, technically, uh, I could stick and move with him, and just see if, yeah, if I can, you know, counter off some of the wild shots that he was going to do. Um, and so when I started, the, you know, basically the game plan was just kind of um, was hit him and not be hit. And then, you know, angled out to see, you know, because he was he was kind of like robotic, if you will. And so, um, you know, and there were times where I just kind of stood down because I wanted to one, I wanted to feel what what kind of power he had so that I could also uh, be able to counter off that. Um but yeah, no. The, the game plan was to uh, just to really see if he could, um, you know, uh, is to stick and move and 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 see how he replied to that or how he would react to that. And um, we ended up, uh, you know, obviously winning the fight. Uh, but he, yeah, no. I mean, he's tough. He took some solid shots, mm. um, but he kept coming. So, um, but in terms of the, the Bob Sapp fight, that fight I took in five days' notice. Mm. Um, the funny thing is I just landed in Austria and I get a phone call from Japan. But prior to that, I had put myself through a training camp before I went on vacation. Well, it, didn't, it ended up being a fight <laughs> camp. But anyhow, um, I, I, I go to a gym in Vienna and, uh, you know, I pound the bag for about uh, – six, seven rounds or eight rounds. And I um, got a call later that evening and I'm like, yeah, I'm in. And um, so again, a very similar kind of scenario with Bob. I knew he was a big guy. and um, I knew that, um, you know, Bob comes off some, um, some good wins. Mm-hmm. And I, I just knew that if I, if, um, if I stood and bang, um, we were going to see what would happen. But, what I realized through the the very beginnings of that round, uh, Bob was looking to try to be disqualified. Uh, he didn't he didn't really want to you know bang it out with me. So um, he ended up doing what he did, and the, the outcome of the fight was I ended up stopping him mm-hmm. uh, in the second round, uh, and um, you know, and the rest was history. But mm. uh, fights like that is. Um, it's always um, interesting to me because there's such mountains of men. And, um, and so I always like that kind of challenge. Mm, yeah, their challenges are right. Yeah, like I say, I always show anybody them. I'm like, if you don't think this could happen in real life, I'm just going to show you this fight. What this? <laughs> um, and if you could travel back in time, and now that you're the president of fighting operations for the PFL, and you're also a matchmaker as well, and as you've often seen in videos, I study fighters, I see their weaknesses, I see their strengths and everything else. Right. If we go back to 95, 97, Sugar Ray Sefo, who are you going to put yourself against for a good gate or a pay-per-view performance? Who would you put yourself against? 
Oh, that's a good question. Well, I, I, well, I guess any of the greats, any, you know, any one of the, um, uh, of those, uh, you know, Ernesto Hoos, Peter Ayers, Roland Banner, Mike Bernardo, Andy Hoog, um, Sammy Schultz. I mean, you know, Raymond Bernieski. I mean, these were all amazing mm -hmm. fighters. And so I, I think for me, it would be any one of those um, amazing fighters. Spoken like a good promoter as well. Never turns down any fight. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Is there anybody that you wish you had fought in your career? That The one person that you sort of go, you know what? Dang, I missed that opportunity. Um, no, and that, that's just it. I fought everybody. Um, the one fight that uh, was when I fought Krokop. Um, I, get a, I was in Brazil for Vito Dalford's training camp. Um, and uh, I get a phone call from the promoter saying that, you know, asking if I would be interested in fighting Krokop versus last fight. Um, and that, uh, you know, I, that uh, he was looking to retire after that. Um, and I was like, well, one, you know, what a great opportunity because he's the only guy that I hadn't fought through, you know, Mm -hmm. to the greats on uh, the names of the, you know, and I'm like, but, but why, why are you calling me now? The fight's in three weeks time, <laughs> you know? Um, so that, you know, I, I'm, and, and up to that point, it was, you know, Kokov was the only one I hadn't fought. Um, and, you know, so I, I took the fight and, um, and, you know, so, uh, there isn't anybody that um, that's a well-known elite fighter that I hadn't fought throughout mm -hmm. the circuit. Um, so yeah, I, I, was, I think I was again very fortunate and very blessed that I was able to you know fight the best of the best. That's not a bad thing. Now I know that I know for a fact because I've seen you doing it. As I said before, we're all getting a little bit older. Uh, what does your training schedule look like now? Because I know that you're still in the cage in the octagon at Extreme Couture, and you're still sparring. Right. Um, but obviously, yes. for sanity's sake, you won't be training as hard as you would when you were 23, 24. So what's your training schedule look like now? So uh, my training, um, well, first of all, like the, the, throughout the week, I, I normally coach in the mornings um, between 9 to 11. Mm -hmm. and, and then I probably do a, a, a light lift and then, um, come back for pad work with Coach Nate or, or sparring. So I still spar two or three times a week. Um, and I'll do maybe pad work twice a week. Uh, and then the rest of that, you know, in the gym is, is, um, is, co is coaching. Uh, but yeah, uh, still, I mean, obviously not quite fit for sparring, but um, fit enough to, you know, hmm. still do five, you five lost, minute rounds. You lost nothing on that front leg kick when I'm watching it in the videos, brother. I can assure <laughs> you. What's the one thing that you wish you'd focused more on your training in hindsight? So if I said, let's wind back the clock, what's the one thing that you wish you could, you could focus more on when you were a champion and everything else? I think is understanding um, Nutrition and um, understanding um, the the downtimes, uh, you know, 
and mm. the the peak times and and whatnot. Because mm. it wasn't until later, later that I I fully kind of understood that. Um, so I wish that I had known all that, you know, uh, that kind of thing uh, earlier in my career, so that I didn't have to um, think too much about it throughout. Um, but yeah, I think that would be the only thing that I would change. Mm. And for those people that are listening and going, why is that? Well, you've got to remember that uh, Ray and I come from the era before the internet. So we used to watch video exactly. tapes and you'd see fighters doing stuff and you'd be like, man, I'm going to try that. You'd have no idea about their training regime. You'd just go, yeah, I'm going to do it. And sometimes it worked and sometimes it didn't. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and let me, you know, just so that, I mean, your viewers understand that, for example, when I was getting ready to fight for the light heavyweight title in China, um, my, so I wake up in the morning, um, I would, uh, and, and because I overheard somebody say that if you boil, if you drink a, uh, hot water before you go for your run, you sweat a lot more. Mm-hmm. Well, what they forgot to say, which I learned later, later, later <laughs> on, <laughs> is that if I had a coffee, that would have helped, you know what I mean? Yeah. So I would get up in the morning, boil the jug, have a, uh, you know, just hot water, go for a 45-minute run to, a, you know, uh, come back. And then, um, what do you call the cereal that back home? Whippix. Um, yes. I would, yeah, so I would do, like, you know, maybe three uh, bars of that. And... That was breakfast. And then um, in the afternoon, I would go do 50 laps in the pool, uh, lift, you know, a little bit of weights, and then go to one of the uh, places down at Albert Street. Um, there's in the, like, an uh, uh, oriental pl- um, food mm-hmm. place where you get, like, uh, boiled chicken and rice and, you know, and then they had the, all, all the different herbs that made it taste good. So and that was you know that was lunch and then for dinner was either uh, a, a sandwich and a banana and that was it you know so mm-hmm. um and that's how i you know uh i didn't know uh much at all about nutrition uh at that point in time mm-hmm. and so i wish i had known back then because i think i would have it would have made life a lot easier um but nevertheless you know uh, you live and you learn yeah. Um, uh, uh, let's be honest. How many of us drink raw eggs after we saw Rocky doing it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, scout, matchmaker, finding fighters, studying them. So, if I'm 13 or 14 years of age and I wanted to take some advice from you and go, how am I going to make it in the PFL? What's the three biggest things you'd say you've got to work on? Well, one is that um, it's too early to know if that's what you really want to do in life, mm-hmm. right? So I would say first, uh, continue to get the right training. Um, and then obviously try and do some smokers uh, within the gym mm-hmm. uh, because that would, you know, that would tell you whether uh, you have the desire or to want to do it. Um, and, um, and then, and, and of course, the, the work ethic, um, it's um, understanding that it, it's a lot of hard work and then you got to be disciplined because, you know, uh, you might have school holidays and 
uh, instead of going and uh, on vac- vacation with your friends and, and whatever, um, you would be in the gym. And so, um, yeah, advice is do a few smokers and see if you like it. And if that's where you want to go, try it out. And, um, and then go from there and make sure that you have good people around you that can guide you uh, through training, but also give you advice in terms of, you know, again, like I said, um, nutrition and, and, and all that kind of good stuff. Mm. And that's one of the cool things about the martial arts community is there's actually no sort of hidden secrets, is there? I mean, you can wander into a gym somewhere and say, hey, Sugar, can you show me how you do a front leg kick? And people will just go, yes, it's this. And it's like, yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. At you know, at, at at our gym, Extreme Couture, you know, we have an open house policy, and Randy's always had that open house policy where anybody could come and train with us. Mm-hmm. Um, whether you're an amateur, a beginner, a pro, um, you're welcome anytime. And so, uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. That's the great thing about martial arts is that everybody's you know is willing to help. Not wrong. Now, you are obviously respected by a huge amount of martial art artists and athletes. Does that make your job as the PFL president easier or harder when you have to have those tough conversations? Um, that's a good question. Uh, I think it makes it easier um, because they know that I speak their language. They know mm-hmm. that I understand what it takes to, you know, to wake up at six, seven o'clock in the morning uh, and do your road work to go back to the gym in the afternoon and then again, you know, at seven o'clock at night. And mm-hmm. so I think they fully understand that and and um, um, and that we speak the same language, if you will. Uh, now, you know, again, every now and then, um, a certain manager will, will try to pull one over you and right away I'll shut it down and go, uh, yeah, I might have been born at night, but I wasn't born last night. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. God bless managers. So now, obviously, your involvement in the PFL and the WSOF, it didn't happen by mistake. And it didn't happen by luck as well, because you are one of the, it's like I always said to people, he's one of the hardest working people behind the scenes. I said, you want to know somebody, know somebody, give this brother a call, because he'll know somebody, know somebody. Um, (laughs) How did it all come about? Because, I mean, you're not just sort of sitting around in Vegas going, actually, you know what? I'll wait until somebody gives me a phone call and makes me president of the PFL. So how did it all come about? So um, when K1 was starting to, um, I, when, I, when I was starting to see uh, that K1 was having less and less shows and I wasn't fighting as regularly, um, I knew something was up. And then the fact that they owed a lot of people money, including myself, um, and... Um, I just knew something was 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 happening. Was something uh, bad was coming, if you will. Um, and uh, eventually, they ended up filing bankruptcy. So you know, and owing a lot of fighters money. And so when that happened, um, <clears throat> I toyed with the idea of starting my own fight league uh, nine months nine months prior to this. So I was I was you know, putting things into just ideas, um, writing ideas down and, and thinking about how I would do it um, so that it would be different from anything else. Um, and so um, I think, uh, actually, no, no, it was, was prior to K1 filing bankruptcy. And once they file bankruptcy, um, 
it was then then I thought, okay, it was time for me to talk to one of my friends. And I talked to him and um, I called him and I said, listen, hey, I want to talk to you about something. Um, and uh, and he goes, yeah, yeah, sure. Let's so we, we catch up for breakfast. And I said, listen, I want to start my own fight league. This is what I want to do. I want, I want to do a, a million dollar uh, tournament. Um, and, you know, but I wanted to kind of be formulated in a way uh, that the way of, uh, the way of uh, American sports is. So, you know, so there's a regular season playoffs and championship. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, he thought it was a great idea. And within a week, we had offices. Um, and so then uh, three months into preparing everything, uh, um, we had a meeting with NBC, um, myself and my team, uh, and our team, should I say. And um, within a week that that year was signed, and with NBC. And so we were on NBC for, um, I want to say four years. Mm-hmm. And then, um, but well, prior to the first show, we ended up going, doing the, 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 the normal format where um, it wasn't the season. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, just due to some things that didn't pan out um, <clears throat> in terms of some people that were, supposed to be in as well um i'm sure that they regret it now but mm. <laughs> that's snooze you lose that is, yep. Yep. right exactly yeah and then um and then um uh bruce dyfick brought on um uh, uh carlos silver who was our ceo at the time and carlos great guy good friend um and he was able to bring on the team that we have now and and once Don and the team came on board, uh, we talked about you know uh, changing the name and whatnot, and that's what uh, that was the birth of PFL and um, and the actual season, um, and uh, that's where PFL is today. And so, yeah, no, it wasn't. It was something that I thought about mm. uh, for about like I said, about nine months or so, mm. and um, and then. I, I just kind of put it into action and um, and it it just kind of started to um, grow from there. Now, we we ran into some setbacks just like anything else in life. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, you do, you, this is the goal. And so you set things out. And unfortunately, um, there are people within, the, you know, in your uh, circle that, uh, had different ideas and different agendas, and um, and so we were able to kind of, um, you know, clear those people out, and and then the, everybody else within the PFL, their mindset and um, um, and goal is to like continue to grow uh, PFL to be one of the best in the world, um, and fortunately for me, the amazing team that we have. Uh, everybody's mindset is about a winning mindset is about being uh, the best is about, you know, about uh, finding the best of the best. And so, um, and hence the, 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 um, the growth of PFL it's, mm-hmm. I mean, we're in 160 countries around the world. Mm-hmm. Um, continuing to, you know, uh, for example, last season, or should I say this year's season, we had uh, 25 to 26 countries involved. 
um, that was being represented. And, um, and so we're going to continue to, to grow like that. And uh, again, a massive thank you to the PFL team um, because uh, it, it's, you know, uh, it's definitely um, an, an amazing time for PFL, but at the same time, it's exciting times for me because just to see everything, you know, continue mm. to grow and unfold the way it is, it's, um, it's, true, it's truly a blessing. And I'm going to do a bit of a sales pitch here. So if you're listening from New Zealand, PFL is on Sky Sports Television. Uh, I know because I, I have to get up at some crazy hours in the morning to watch it, but that's all good. No dramas. Um, does it annoy you that you kind of missed out on that big MMA payday in your career? Is it? Because, uh, I mean, look, let's be honest, some of the money that gets thrown around in MMA events now, you and I, yep. back in the 90s, if I'd said to you, hey, Sugar, you can make like, $20 million for turning up and fighting this guy in Vegas, we would all look at one another and laugh and go, you're crazy. There's no way. Um, does it does it ever make you sort of go, hmm, dang, I missed it by sort of 10 or 15 years or not? No. Um, and and I think part of that too is just being grateful to, you know, for being where I am. If I, if I was to go back uh, and I was this young Polynesian kid that grew up in Auckland, um, didn't really fully understand. I mean, I remember at 15 going, what am I doing with my life? What am I going to do with my life? Mm-hmm. And then fast forward, you know, um, 35 years later, um, I'm living in Las Vegas and mm-hmm. um, having myself and my partners have this amazing company that, uh, and, and that I get to um, sign, you know, contracts for these young fighters and watch them uh, chase the gold and chase their dreams. And so, um, no, I, 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 I'm just very uh, grateful and very thankful that, uh, and I thank the good Lord every day that I'm blessed to do what I do and that um, and I truly believe that I, this is exactly what I was supposed to do in life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause look, let's be honest, after we'd finished sort of the, the rounds at the clubs. If I'd come up to you after hours, like when you always said to staff, when you right. when you're when you're on the door there at Candy House for all those people who can remember it and said to you, "Hey right. brother, you're going to be in Las Vegas in 20 years' time and have all this stuff." We again, we all would have just laughed. So it's a full credit right, to, right, yeah, full credit to you as well. Is it hard to yeah, keep? No. You, is it hard to keep your premier athletes contracted to the PFL? I know that you all have a set stock contract but is it really hard to keep them contracted because there's lots and lots of alphabet organizations and mma and I, I guess for me as a as a martial artist and somebody watches it i don't want to see mma end up like boxing where you know you've got so many different organizations it's like who's this is it really is it hard as an organization um no um no it's um it's, no it's not hard at all to be honest um i think um it's um, as long as it's right for the company, mm-hmm. uh, we will always have, our, you know, we would always keep our athletes. Um, and so, um, for example, the, the, the birth of PFL. Now, we did, we did lose one um, uh, champion. And part of that is because... Um, you know, he wanted to, he wanted to uh, fight at the UFC and whatnot. And um, it's kind of crazy because uh, when I talked to him last time, um, he, you know, he didn't really say that 
um, he didn't say that uh, he kind of regretted his decision, but he kind of alluded to it, if you will. He kind of just read between the lines and whatnot. But no, um, it's not hard at all, to be honest. All right. Now, I'm going to ask you a really tricky one now. We've kind of touched on it, but not really. But what makes a champion in your eyes? Um, well, first, you've got, to, uh, you've got to have the heart and soul and um, dedication and discipline to do to become a champion. Because mm-hmm. it, it, it definitely takes all that. Mm-hmm. Then you've got to have the skills. And then you've got to have, be able to be um, a good human being uh, mm-hmm. within society because, um, you know, being a champion, this, this, you carry a lot of um, fans with you, if you will, and they look up to you. And so you got to, you know, try and, and be this model citizen, if you will. Um, now, listen, we're all human. We all make mistakes, and that's, that's normal. But, um, you know, a true champion is a champion within the ring and also outside of the ring. And, and I really think that's, um, you know, there's some special champions like that. Mm-hmm. Um, when you look at, um, uh, you know, for example, some of our champions, um, Ray Cooper, for example, he's such a, um, he's such a beast and such a, a champion when, it, when he steps into that cage. But he's a family man and he's a very low-key guy when he's, you know, when he's mm-hmm. at home and um, and everything is about, you know, uh, his family and whatnot. So, um, yeah, I, I think that's to me is, um, is a true champion is when you can be a champion in, in the cage and then be a champion outside of the, of the cage as well. It's almost like you've read my next question because it's this. Um, the PFL prides itself on being really having strong ties to the community and you've got people like Ray Cooper, you've got people like Kayla Harrison who do some amazing right. stuff with all their charity work and everything else. Um, is that one of the things that you've deliberately tried to do to set the PFL apart from some other organisations? Because it seems to me, and I, I say this all the way from New Zealand, that you guys are doing an awful lot in the community whereas some other people aren't doing that much. Yeah, I think it's really important. Um, it's important to us to uh, also give back and um, um, you know, we that during the time that we were in, I think it was 2019 when we were in Atlantic City um, before COVID came along. We would um, a lot of our athletes um, all turned up to feed the homeless, mm. um, and 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 it's really important um, for us to also give back to our communities because you know there's a lot of people out there that do need that help and do need that support, and so. Uh, I'm very grateful to our champions because they, you know, not one said, no, no, I'm not going to do that. Every single mm-hmm. one of them uh, were all in for it. And so um, uh, it's, it's, you know, um, a blessing to have um, not only a good group of people, but like I said, being a champion inside the cage is one thing, but being a champion outside is another. And we're very fortunate that we have both. Not wrong. Now, I know that you have worked with lots of champions in, in the past um, as well as now. When you've been training with champions, and we're talking Randy, we're talking Vitor, we're talking all those other people, who's been the one that when you've been training gone, you've actually stood back and gone, 
whoa, this guy's or girl has gone to the next level. I wasn't expecting this. Who's been the one that sort of made you your mouth drop because they've just gone to the next level and you're like, whoa, I didn't expect that? Um, that's a good question. I'm not going to make it easy for you, brother. No, no, exactly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, let me see. Who... Because there's so many, you know, the thing about mixed martial arts is that um, it, it, it really, like if someone, for example, you look at uh, Vito Balfour, who is, you know, a former UFC champion. Mm-hmm. He's uh, explosive, he's fast, good skills, uh, black belt, jiu-jitsu black belt. And then you look at someone like Randy, who um, is just a hard work grinder, like mm-hmm. just, you know, uh, the biggest heart, you know, and, um, and you know, uh, comes from a, a wrestling background and just knew how to, you know, um, maw you, if you will, mm-hmm. and, and, and get you to where he wants you uh, and so that he could apply his own game. Um, so, and that's the thing about Mitch Martial Arts is, is that everybody's so, you know, has their own strengths and um, and uh, it's, it's kind of hard to they really kind of pinpoint someone that I that I didn't think was going to do that well um, because again like you could have a good striker and then um, and has a good take down the fence and could keep the fight standing and then you could have a, a good wrestler um, who could who could bang but you know, he'll put you on your back and um, and submit you. Um, but no, I, I I can't think of one right now. <laughs> That's right. I'll leave you off the I'll leave you off the hook, President. You're all good. Okay, so now I'm going to ask you a real tricky one. You're a striking coach, so here we go. So the great debate amongst all martial artists, right, is you know boxing, MMA, kickboxing. There's always the person who everybody goes, man, he's the best striker in sports. He's got the best timing. He's got the best punch. Everything else. So, in your humble opinion, as of 29 of the 11th, 2021, at one o'clock in New Zealand. I know you're a day behind <laughs> us. If I said to you, Sugar Ray Seffel, who is the best striker in sports at this present moment? What would you say? In sports? Yep. So across all combat sports, not just MMA, boxing, the whole lot. Somebody that sort of makes wow. you think, hmm. Um. Wow, that's that's a tough one. <laughs> um, I mean, because when you look at boxing, um, you know, um, Canelo is you know is a beast mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. he's amazing. Um, if you uh, look at kickboxing, Rico Van Hoven as a heavyweight mm-hmm. um, has been you know tearing that scene down. Um. If you look at uh, uh, MMA, um, uh, Adesanya has been, you know, has been um, amazing uh, being a dominant striker himself. Um, uh, Some of the guys that I work with, who like Brad Tavares, he's also a very good, uh, an amazing striker. Um, And yeah, I, I, I think it's, yeah, I mean, there's just so many. That's that's already so. I'll let you Different off. great fighters, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, I do. I do know. Uh, 
There are many phenoms, and I'm going to say phenoms because that's what they are in the PFL. I look at them, they're not even champions. I look at somebody like Kayla Harrison and just go, holy heck. Uh, who's two or three that we should keep our eyes on in the PFL uh, for the near future? People that are just sort of just under the radar um, so that we can look really educated and sophisticated when somebody says, hey, who's a good fighter? Well, um, oh, he's another good striker uh, in the <laughs> PFL. Is, is Bruno Cabaloza, uh, who mm -hmm. just won the heavyweight title. Um, and that's one of the guys to look out for, too. That's him. Of course, Kayla, of course, Ray, uh, Cooper. Um, and um, again, you know, um, if you look at Anthony Pettis, for example, mm -hmm. uh, he had a rough year um, 2021, this season. Um, but everybody's talking about you know, um, how they want to see him, you know, uh, return. And so I think 2022 might be his year. Mm. Um, and then, of course, you know, Rory McDonald as well. But um, there's, there's so many um, young stars that um, a, a perfect example is um, Raush Manfield, who won the light, lightweight title. Um, this guy came in as an alternate and nobody mm. knew and, and look where he is. He's, he won, became the PFL lightweight champion and, and won a million dollars on top of what he made through the regular season. And so this guy just changed his whole life. And yet he was cleaning homes uh, or, or cleaning, um, uh, he was a cleaner as, as a job. And that's the beauty of the sport, isn't it? I mean, you can turn up for one bout and all of a sudden you've you've knocked out the heavyweight champion and confidence is a wonderful thing, as we all know, for fighters. Right. And the next thing, you're undefeated. Um, does the current culture of retired fighters coming back for exhibition fights, does that worry you somewhat? Because I sit here and I think it kind of destroys some of their legacies because you and I know that there's some, been some great fighters with great legacies in the past who... Maybe they've come back and they've done sort of exhibition fights and you sort of sit there and go, well, let's be honest. But is it something that worries you or not? You know what? Honestly, I think when it first started, um, I was like, nah, nah, this and this and that. But because it's been like, it's been going on for the last five plus years, mm. um, that it's become somewhat the norm. If mm. And... Dana White said it right for it, you know. Mm -hmm. um, that's not what we do. That's no. not what they do. But there is a market for it. Yeah. And um, and listen, as long as people uh, are willing to tune in and enjoy it, then I think it's okay, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, because, I, like I said, in the beginning, uh, I wasn't too keen about it. But after be, seeing it in the last five plus years, uh, it's kind of somewhat become the norm, you know. Mm. Um, and so I think um, there is a market for it and, and, and people do enjoy watching it. Um, I, yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, it's, it's just one of those things where I think um, uh, as long as people are willing to tune in and watch and enjoy it, then it's okay. Well, let's be honest. You and I both were raised on Iron Mike Tyson, and you saw how right. many yeah you saw how many views he got hitting just the heavy bag 
and everybody getting excited about him coming back. So there we go. Exactly. Not exactly. Wrong. Not wrong. Okay. So I got one more question for you, and it's the one that's kind of unique for this podcast, and it's this. So the day of reckoning has come for Sugar Ray Seffel, and you are lying in your coffin. But strangely enough, you can hear what the minister or whoever's delivering your eulogy is saying about Sugar Ray Seffel. What would you like people to say about you once you're gone? Um, that first and foremost, that I was a, a good dad and that I was a good person. I think that's probably the most important, the two most important things. Boom. And on that note, my friend, have a very Merry Christmas. Thank you for taking the time out because I know that you are an incredibly busy man. Uh, it's always a pleasure to talk to you and take care and all the best to you and your family over the holiday season. I appreciate you, so thank you. Thanks for listening. But please, do Constable Brian and I a favour and be sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on the next Coppuccino podcast. Real people, real stories.